Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all and equipping, especially for pastors and teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury. Amanda is uh, my wife and one of my all-time favorite preachers and is professor of uh, youth ministry and practical theology at Indiana Wesleyan University, as well as the director of the Imaginarium. And our week, our text this week is Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 60. Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 60. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice so that you can sh- pass this show on to uh, friends or others through whatever means you like so they might benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amanda. Uh, do you want to read aloud? Yeah, I'll, you... read. I'll read. Great. You read, I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. Okay. So Acts 7, verses 55 through 60. Acts 7, starting with verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for this day which you have made. We give you thanks for this opportunity that we have to study your word. We give you thanks for your word, your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, and the written word about him and his apostles that has been handed on to us. We dare to ask, Lord, that the the very grace that has been at work in the composition and preservation of this text uh, would be uh, at work in us today, in Mandy and I, as well as all who are listening in, that that grace would be at work in us to be illumined and awakened to the truth of this text, to be encouraged and empowered to live according to it and to be equipped for the ministry of bearing witness uh, to your word in this world. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So what are some uh, initial observations just as you freshly approach this? Initial observations. Yeah. So 
Verse 57, every time I read this, I, I just kind of laugh. I mean, it's not really appropriate given the circumstances. But but you picture these people with their fingers in their ears. And yeah, I mean, it's like a la, 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 you know? It's the thing that we kind of joke about, about kids doing, or when you don't want to see something or hear something, you block every sense you have so that you can't see what's going on. And it, it seems so so childish mm. that they they cover their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. So they, they literally cannot hear anything he is saying. Uh, and, and then they're, and they're running at him too. So, I mean, what does it look like to have ears covered, yelling, running at him? Uh, it, it just seems very childlike in a way, very immature. <laughs> Not to mention terrifying for Stephen, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Well, but I mean, maybe those are connected, right? I mean, what's more terrifying than when grown men act like children, hmm. right? That, sure. that, the, the, the terror and the silliness are, are connected in a way um, because it implies a kind of irrationality. Right. right? That they're yeah. reacting this way, mm-hmm. which is precisely why it's dangerous. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Stephen is acting irrationally too. I see the heaven open up. There's God <laughs> and Jesus. Yeah, well, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, I guess, which goes to show that this is far too philosophical for a uh, fresh text, I suppose. But uh, um, what makes something rational is whether it's true, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's actually a completely rational thing to do if he's a blasphemer, which is what they're responding to. Sure, yeah. You know, it's they're, they're going to get, you know, you think, I mean, one way is the childish view, which is always how I picture it. But I mean, you think of like when you're watching something that you just don't want to see, yeah. you know, whether it's gross or violent or... Uh, titillating or uh, uh, sacrilegious, right? right? right. You, you might just close your eyes or look away, yeah, almost reflexively, as if it's like a contagion that's going to get on <laughs> okay, you, sure, right? Yeah. And and so if he's a blasphemer, this is maybe an appropriate response, just like if he if Jesus is really raised from the dead and this is one of his deacons and to become apostle, mm-hmm. then what he's doing is not irrational either. So right. I mean, <laughs> rationality's. Uh, perhaps uh, contingent on what's real, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I see, I see the blasphemy point, how, boy, maybe they just don't want to hear what they, what they think is blasphemy, but it does seem strange to me that, that they're, they're afraid of hearing Stephen or for some reason they, they want to make sure that his words can't get in their ears. Are, are they afraid that they'll be convinced or that, hmm. um, or that'll be scary? Yeah. I, I wonder why, why is it important to them to block out his words here? Why not just let the blasphemer talk? Oh, to let him condemn himself. Yeah. You know, talk himself into this grave. Well, I suppose this this comes back to your observation of the childlike irrationality in the moment. Uh, I'm mentioning the rationality of it because of the blasphemy, but I don't want to... That really was... I don't think of that as a counterpoint, but rather both are at work. So there's some reason to it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It befits their moral standards right? to yep. react this way. Uh-huh. And yet at the same time, there is a kind of knee jerk. When it says they all rushed at him together. Yeah. Right. I've got one translation open here that has, they rushed upon him all in one mind. So almost get the sense of there's a, there's a, there's a mob mentality happening. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to ask after the, the reason or logic of group behavior is already to push the bounds of normal reason because it's just what's happening is the crowd. So there could be yeah. a guy in the room thinking, wait a minute, 
Yeah, and and that that action of of them all moving as one, we see that again later on in Acts in, in Ephesus with Demetrius, the silver worker, where they all they yes. all rush as it says as one man into the arena or, or whatever it is they were headed. That mob mentality again. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Well, okay, now and now we're bumping into a larger theme, right? That that Luke and Acts wants us to see, especially Acts, right? That that the the disorder that seems to follow the gospel wherever it goes isn't the gospel's it's not the church's fault that that's like a motif in acts right say that again the book of acts kind of recognizes that wherever the gospel goes disorder tends to follow <laughs> okay and so yeah. it's a big part of one it, i mean these these matters are all these matters are debated of course in in scholarship sure right but but it, it it's a relatively common view that one of uh Luke's um, agenda items. One of his one of his subtle purposes is to uh, cast the church in a slightly better light by showing that it's always somebody else, <laughs> either <laughs> economic interests like sure. in the Demetrius okay. story, okay. or the centers of Jewish uh, religious power, like in this yeah. scene, is where the is where the violence and disorder and disruptions coming from. Right, not the gospel, but the response yeah, of these yeah. heathens, which you know has a. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that you immediately thought of another incident, it makes me think of, there is a larger kind of, there's an emphasis here in, and and more than, and I, and I don't want to make it sound like Luke's just making this up, but I mean, the author is going to show up the most in when he's narrating. Yeah. Right. And that's a, right. narr- that's a narration line, verse 57. So that's Luke, you know, whatever sources he's leaning on, you know, he's going to, you're going to hear his voice come out when he's speaking as narrator. Mm-hmm. So he's going to really highlight the, sure. the intensity, the overreaction, the cause. And, and so I wonder if your initial reaction today, look at these supposed leaders acting like children mm-hmm. when all he did is say what he saw. Yeah. Maybe that's the reaction Luke wants to ha- you to have. Right. right. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 It worked. He's a good storyteller, right? <laughs> Now, again, I, I think the, the lines, the words in the mouth, I mean, I don't know. Now this is getting off on, an, on, an, on a tangent, perhaps. So I'll throw this in and then, and then see where we want to go. But when you compare, obviously you can't, Matthew and Mark didn't write a, a, an equivalent of Acts, mm-hmm, right? Right. But, but the writer of Acts wrote Luke and Luke, Matthew and Mark share a lot of yeah. traditions, right? Texts or stories or whatever. And you'll notice there's a consistent pattern in Luke that he will tinker like if you've got a passage that's in him and is in Mark and Matthew as well mm-hmm. Luke is very comfortable whatever the order of who's dependent on who it doesn't matter just leave that off you can tell the greatest differences are in the narration and the closest oh, similarities interesting. Okay. okay are in the words all right not just Jesus words but mm-hmm. character words in general is that tra- you, you, yeah, I see you're responding. That. I see so that. what's clicking there? Oh no, I'm just saying I, I, I understand okay. that makes sense. That you've got Luke, who's uh, if he's taking liberties, if he's changing something a bit, it's 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 the way he's narrating, not necessarily that the the content or the the uh, dialogue that's going on. Which makes sense. Like you think of how many times you've told the same story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that story you tell in your about the kid who says, you know, Pastor Amanda, I'm uncomfortable, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. or another one. Uh, I see where you're going with this, Pastor Man. That's an yeah. that the lines are always the same. Yeah, the quotes. Yeah. Uh huh. 
But the way you tell the story changes right. again and again. It's always getting better. Yeah. It's probably getting further from the exact <laughs> detail, but getting tighter and clearer sure. and, and more of a, a crisper narrative that captures and probably truer to the event. Right. Lose right. that. But thinking of this as exact description will only get us uh, caught. Oh, man, that was, that was fun. Just geeking out on 57. Let's take a quick break and come back and go in deeper. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through verse 60. And we're here with my guest, Amanda Drury, recording from home today. Uh, So we may hear an occasional uh, sound of my son's chair moving (laughs) above us. We'll see how that goes, but we're trying something new. So when we left the break, as we're going in deeper, we were talking about the narrative, especially verse 57. And I mentioned the quotes, the, the 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 sayings, and I would love if you're open to it to maybe to maybe zoom in on those a little bit. Especially, there's this it's, there's this is a narrative, obviously, but these quotes connected up thematically, I think, in an important way with the season that we're in. Where this is near the end of this Easter season, right? These are just really huge. The three line, you know, I mean, I think of like you know, if there's the red letter Bible, uh huh, yeah. Maybe you could have a a green letter Bible for apostles when they talk, right? Because they, they matter. Yep. What they're saying matters. Yep. And there's three lines okay. from – so if we just kind of isolate those, again, not to disrupt the unity of the text, but to recognize that these were probably remembered and yeah. handed on yeah. and have a kind of history and authority prior to Luke. Okay, I'll read those here. So it's – Yeah, it's, go for it. 56. Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What's that make you think of as you see it? <laughs> well, I mean, Jesus there at the end. Yeah. yeah. Just at the end? Does Makes Jesus talk about seeing the... Have, he doesn't see heaven open up, does he? Well, let's see. Um, oh, at the end, meaning both of those. Right. Well, yeah, let's work backwards. The last one's the most obvious, right? Sure. Yep. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So let's flip back to Luke twenty-three forty-six. You don't have to go there. I'll just you can stay where you are if you want. Luke twenty-three forty-six. Then Jesus. This is uh, this. Is, I'll start at forty-four. It was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Looks like I got it backwards. That's the one that goes with 59, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But notice the difference. Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my receive spirit. My spirit. And the difference that strikes me the most of all is the Father and then the Lord Jesus, right? Yeah, he, he's yeah. kind of relating to Jesus as Jesus did to his right. yep. Father. So that's the one. And then a little bit earlier then would be 2334 as he's going out. Jesus, Father, uh, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Whereas here it's Lord, right? Uh-huh. 
which given the context as well as the language all throughout Paul and all throughout the New Testament, Lord often means Jesus. Yep. Right. So you can almost hear it again. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And Stephen says to Jesus, Lord, do not hold this against them. Right. So we've got Jesus saying, Father, into your hands, I, I commend my spirit. And then Stephen saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then perhaps Jesus says, Father, into your hands, I commend his spirit. Ooh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah, so you, there's an intercession possibly implied. Right, yeah. Um, or at least anticipated mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in, ooh. Because though Jesus does not speak in this chapter, he is a character in the story. This right. is one of the problems of a red-letter Bible, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, purple yeah, yeah. letters for when Jesus shows up right. but doesn't speak. You know, uh, Jesus has not left the scene even though he has ascended. Yeah. He has ascended but not absent to to jump ahead to Ascension Day, which I think is our which is in a week or two on the show here. But but as for the seeing uh, at the right hand, I mean, yeah, he straight up does, and you get the exact same, almost exact same response, right? It's slightly different, but this is from the end of chapter twenty-two of Luke. Okay. When day came, the assembling of the elders gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. And they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. Verse 69, But from now on, the Son of Man, okay, okay. same, yeah. shall be seated, not the same, okay, at the right hand huh. of the power of God. Huh. Now, the language is a little weird there because, of course, he's probably... De- whether he's dependent on Mark or not, he's at least dependent on a tradition that overlaps with Mark because right. Mark, the language goes like this. He said, Mark says it this way in chapter 14. Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power, not God, okay. mm-hmm. not the power of God because mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. using it as a substitute for you. It's not saying the God, divine name. And look at their reaction. It's identical almost, right? So they all said, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from mm-hmm. his own lips. Yeah. So uh, the, the parallelism is, it can't be, it just can't be accidental in right. terms of uh, what uh, what I think at least Luke wants us to see. Yeah. I've, I've always wondered too whether or not... Um, not always, but whether or not the disciples expected Stephen to raise from the dead in three days. Oh, you know this because this is what happens to Christians. You you're you're killed for your faith. You say these words. Three days later, you're going to be back. Like I, like I wonder I wonder if there was the double trauma of he's gone. Whoa, he's really gone. <laughs> huh. Ooh. Well, as the immediate context after indicates, uh, you know, a great persecution then does break out. Yeah. And so, the this is the beginning of a very traumatic period, right? And they don't know what what Christian death looks like. Yeah, there's been persecution, but not resulting, not as Hebrews uses the language, to the point of spilling blood. It right. hasn't gotten that yeah. far yet. Wow, that's a great question, Mandy. Especially because I'll, I'll never forget when I heard someone say, "In order to be clever," and it was interesting. 
And it got me thinking, you know how you can have like an interesting error? This is like an example of an interesting error. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think it's an, it's an erroneous claim. Yeah. But it was interesting. Okay. And it, and it, you can learn something from an, from a, from an interesting error, you know? Uh, someone said, I remember someone saying, they may have even appealed to these same observations of the similarity. Okay. I remember someone from a pulpit saying, Stephen wasn't the first martyr. Jesus, Stephen wasn't the first one to die for his faith. Jesus was. Okay. Okay. And they may have even said Stephen wasn't the first martyr. Jesus was. Now, I think that's importantly wrong, <laughs> but it's it's also half right. I mean, it's half right and there is this continuity. And it's half right in the sense of Jesus, the, the, the form of Jesus' death had this kind of martyr character to it as a witness as a as a human with his faith facing the and, and I think Luke in particular in the way he narrates I, I maybe should have noted I compared to to Mark of course on the Son mm-hmm. of Man stuff the other two lines only appear in Luke okay I mean this is probably far too a field but you even wonder if well yeah anyway uh, <laughs> you can go ahead and read my mind. Um, but, uh, but Jesus, you know, father receive, you know, I commend my spirit and don't hold this father forgive them. They don't know what they do. Those are only in Luke's version. Okay. Right. So you could even say that Luke's portrayal of Jesus's death more than the others emphasize the kind of martyr character. Mm. He's our forerunner. He's been through it. Mm. We can get through it too. Vibe. Our model. Yeah. Yeah. Just there's a, I, I don't need to. Uh, go into the the weeds on that, but you can kind of catch, yeah. Like I said, our model, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and why did I bring that up? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So I thought of all that stuff about who's the first martyr. I think it's still better to think of Stephen as the first martyr because Jesus is. You could say he is a martyr, but he's not only a martyr. He also died in our place and for our sakes in a way that Stephen did not. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's important, right? To remember that's that that's what's half wrong, but what's half right is the the connection there that I think Luke really does genuinely want us to see. But the reason I thought of that is because you mentioned whether the apostles were wondering if he was going right. to rise from the dead, right. yeah. And that's the point. And this comes back to the the season that we're in and the language here of this vision of the risen Jesus at the right hand of God. Hmm. The one to whom we would address our prayers at our moment of death. This, Jesus, more than any other, more than any other narrative in the New Testament, the enthronement of Jesus is put forth in this story. Yes, it is. You know, I mean, it, it's state, it's put in propositions in Paul, but here you get it as a, an event in history of a man, Stephen, seeing a vision of the session, which is what it's, classically referred to as the the session of Jesus, his Mm -hmm. sitting at, he's in session as the Lord. And so no wonder these called Lord, right? Which is the, you know, it's the only present tense verb in the second article of the Apostles' Creed, right? It's it's all Mm -hmm. the things he did, Mm -hmm. did, 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 up through ascended. Ascended is the last past tense event. And it says that he sits, sits, right? It's the implication of the ascension, but in a way this kind of just as now we're going to get the spread through Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth, mm-hmm. starting in chapter eight, this is kind of the end of the first seven chapters of Acts, yeah. the Jerusalem period, the begin, the first blood spilled, and also the kind of conclusion of sort of ascension 
Christocentric theology, right? He has been raised. He has been, he showed himself. He has been, he has ascended. He's been taken up is another word that Luke uses and the sermons and acts he used that we've been doing the last couple of weeks on Fresh Text. And he now sits at the right hand of God as the one who is the Lord. That's mm-hmm. why that name Lord matters so much, right? Lord Jesus and speaking to him as Lord. I mean, as I say all that, I'm like, I'm with them. If this isn't true, this is blasphemy. <laughs> this is saying some dude yeah. died. Yeah. And I'm with you that the apostles are perhaps they may have had a moment with the trauma, but it also would have actually confirmed their faith because Stephen was not Lord. Yeah. He's not being installed yeah. at the right yeah. hand of God. Yeah. So of course we don't expect yeah. him to be raised from the dead. Their minds might know that, but their hearts don't know it. <laughs> you, it would still be dramatic. Do right? you think there's any similarities between uh, Jesus giving up his spirit at the end? I know that's in John. I don't know if it is in other places. And Stephen falling asleep. You know, in both cases, it's not really like somebody killed them. It's this giving up of control or letting something overtake you. It's it's. The imagery, I think, is is interesting as opposed to, you know, he died. I think that's dead right. Because I don't think, I don't know that we see that anywhere, anywhere else in the scripture. When he said this, he fell asleep. Now, there's the little girl that Jesus raises from the dead. No, she's only sleeping, that type of thing. But um, just, just such an interesting Lazarus. way of speaking. Uh, okay, He's Lazarus. Only, so this is He's actually a recurring theme. Paul refers to those who are dead in Christ as those who are asleep. Uh-huh. And of course, Luke would have hung around with Paul. Yep. And actually, one of there's two words for resurrection in the New Testament: um, agero and um, anistemi. And agero is also the word you'd use for waking someone up. Hmm. Okay. Actually, you know, you and I were working on we were working on transfiguration this week, and one one possible translation of that little part that I was trying to wonder how to translate is uh-huh. wake up. Being yeah, afraid. Yeah. I didn't choose that because it might have given the impression that they were asleep and it was all a dream. Sure. Which, of course, Luke actually does give that impression because it says their eyes were heavy with sleep. But um, I, I, that would be misleading, I think. Mm-hmm. But And that's the idea of the waking up of the dead. Whereas anistemi, the other word for raise, yeah. is, is also the word you'd use for getting up. Okay. Or standing up. It's actually, it shares a root with him standing at the right hand of the Father right here in verse huh. 56. Okay. okay. Well, why did I bring that all up? It's, it's, there's kind of, yeah, so there is a kind of connection even in the language of that time between resurrection language and sleep and wake, hmm. okay. which then <clears throat> implies uh, death as a kind of sleep. I'm, I'm with you that that can be misleading, although I think you're right that Luke maybe wants us to see that. There is a sereneness yeah. I mean, he's forgiving. Well, he, you said it's like what the way it is in John, and I, I think it is in Jesus too. I mean, excuse me, in Luke. <laughs> when, and it says here that he he breathed his last. Okay. And in the original, I could get it out, is uh, it may even say that he gave up the ghost. I'll check while you say what you're going to say. Go ahead. This the, the way this is worded is one of the reasons why uh, when, I was, when I was younger – so watching Superbook and Flying House, these these Bible cartoons, and then older elementary re- reading these this story, and I remember thinking, "Oh, I'll bet God took away his pain before he died." Mm. That this story in particular, I was always worried about Stephen feeling feeling pain, mm. and uh, and I because I couldn't imagine God letting letting people like this be be physically hurt. 
Uh, and so at, at the time when I was a kid, I just thought, okay, well, God just made him, made, made him numb, made it so he didn't feel any of this. And, and looking back on that now, I'm realizing you know, some of that was probably, uh, encouraged too by some of the language here. He, he, he fell asleep. You know, he's, he's standing while he's being stoned until he goes to his knees. Uh, and then he's got huh. these, these, these very gracious words. You know, the, these are not, these do not sound like the words of a man who's being murdered. Wow. Yeah, I think you're, I think your younger, your your child was that when you were like a kid or an adolescent more? Do you, do you recall? Uh, kid, m- maybe middle school, but definitely definitely grade school. I had the same thoughts with Jesus too. Like, oh, maybe yeah. he didn't feel any pain up on the cross. <laughs> well, Luke and John, in their presentation of the death of Jesus, emphasize the serenity, the, for lack of a better term, the stoic quality hmm. of the way Christ faces his death. Even the Gethsemane scene in John, you know, he, he's like, they don't even, they, they can't even arrest him. He knocks them over with his <laughs> right, word, right? Right, right. Um, less so in Luke. Uh, but clearly by the end, there's that. So I, I don't think that's, Mark and Matthew give us a very different picture. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, yeah. my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is how it ends. I thirst. Uh-huh. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's John? just John. That's just yeah, John. Yeah, only okay. John, again. Uh, the seven last words, uh, ser- uh, Those preaching. Those are all John, right? No, they're, they're spread across the gospels. There is no seven last words. You couldn't okay. read one okay. gospel and get that. And actually mm-hmm. they all don't work if you put them together. <laughs> I, I mean, I've, seven last words is a cool thing, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. it's, uh, it actually disrupts the logic of the, the passion narratives huh. because half of them are the final words, depending on which gospel yeah, you yeah, read. Yeah. <laughs> my God, my God is the last line in Mark and Matthew. That leaves a lot different vibe than Luke, which ends with father into, into your hands. hands. I commit my spirit. Right. And he breathes his, his last, last in a very, you know, it, it just says he basically he exhales, right? saying, right? Whereas Luke falls asleep. Now, it sounds like you said you used to think that, and maybe you ceased to think that a little bit because it seemed immature or something, no, and you it's, it's, wondered if it was otherwise. <laughs> I think it's more just growing up and realizing, oh no, people who love God can feel pain. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that's what I meant about <laughs> yeah, a maturing, and I think that's true. And I think the the support of that exegetically, of course, is the word here for falling asleep could be just fell unconscious, mm-hmm. which is exactly what would happen when you're being stoned. Yeah, right? yeah. Unless you're being left to bleed out, uh, or even if you are being left to bleed out, you you could be knocked unconscious if you took a blow to the head. Yeah. Before you actually die. You right? know, I, I'm I'm just thinking. Um, sometimes there are conversations about how much can a kid handle the Bible. Well, there's certain stories uh, we shouldn't tell, or uh, even conversations about the crucifixion. Mean, there there have been some debates on how far do we yeah, go in this right. crucifixion story. But uh, just in sharing that story, I'm reminded, even psychologically, that that kids, kids' minds almost protect them from what they can't handle. Like my my mind could only imagine a certain a certain amount. I, I couldn't at the and time. You don't have to I, disabuse a child of that. Right. Let that play. I out. couldn't imagine mm-hmm. a, a follower of Christ feeling pain, and I think that's okay as an eight year old. <laughs> and actually, in your adolescent experience, you learned that that actually could happen. Right. Even right. In your own life. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it was important to recognize that the falling asleep may not be as serene as you initially mm-hmm. imagined. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of third now adult Mandy is encountering the kind of third, which is the third insight, which is yeah, Luke probably wanted you to see it this way, yeah, but not in a way that denies 
the real pain. Right. Uh, but, it, you know, it, but you can kind of, there's almost three different ways of reading. It's uh, everything's perfect, mm-hmm. almost Pollyannish. Um, and that's okay because it, and because that's maybe exactly the only way you can handle this text at a certain stage of life. Yeah. And I mean that both spiritual childhood as well as, as, as human development childhood psychologically. But then also the ug of realizing actually no, sort of hurt, sort of very much hurt. And this could be a being knocked unconscious in a way that's pretty awful. Yeah. And, and that, that therefore all the more impressive that he was able to cling to his faith and pray. Yeah. Despite the pain, not instead mm-hmm. of pain. Mm-hmm. And then the third insight is the recognition that there was an element of truth in the first. And you yeah, can kind of yeah. embrace both. Yeah. And, and that, that transition from, oh, he probably didn't feel pain. So no, he definitely felt pain. Uh, it's, it's not a, it's not a denial of the first or even an embarrassment of the first. I don't have to reject that yes. faith. It's, it's a, um, which you may in an earlier time have. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you hear other people doing, yeah. they realize the faith of their childhood isn't the faith of their adolescence or their adulthood. Mm. But if instead you can see that as permission to grow from your faith, permission to change, uh, to not have to cling to what you thought as a child in order for it to be true. Yeah, man, that's just really good. That applies to a whole bunch of, whole bunch of things. Well, this has been a fun conversation. Let's take a break and come back and explore some sermon starters. All right. All right, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Uh, We're looking at Acts uh, chapter 7, verses 55 through 60. The kind of last little moment here uh, after Jesus, after uh, Stephen, excuse me, gives this lengthy speech, uh, and then uh, is uh, gives his life uh, before this vision of Christ standing at the right hand of God. And I'm here with my guest Amanda Drury, and it's time for us to explore some sermon starters. Uh, we're actually recording this on a Saturday. Uh, it's Saturday afternoon. So let's pretend you just got a phone call, right? <laughs> hey, can you fill in for tomorrow? We already printed all the bulletins. The, you know, the text is already ready. This is the passage. It's, it's the boundaries you wouldn't have even chosen. You maybe wanted to start at verse 55 or, or do the yeah. whole sermon. So, too late, right? right? Someone else already did it, right? Uh, what do you want to do with this text? What, what's the kind of, the, 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 your angle, your focus, um, your form? Well, this this wouldn't apply to the scenario you just set up there, but um, yeah, you can ignore that. That's well, just to force you to have an yeah, answer. Yeah, no, this will <laughs> this will take us pretty pretty deep here. We might not want to dwell there, but uh, I can't read this passage now without thinking of lynchings. Yeah, uh, specifically. So we're recording this in Marion, Indiana, where there mm-hmm. is a, a one of the last famous lynchings, mm-hmm. public lynchings, where uh, there's pictures of it, yeah. and. Um, you, you go back and you read the news articles from different newspapers in Indiana during that time period. And each one of these newspapers is referring to this mob mentality or mob yeah. psychology they use. Yeah. Uh, now, in these stories, it was almost to excuse the people sure. who did it. You know, well, it wasn't really, it was a, but, um, but that same terror, that same, you know, blocking my ears to hear anything that could, that could disrupt what I already think. And uh, it, and then there's that picture too. I mean, if you've seen a, a picture of a of a lynching in what your middle school history book, it's probably from yeah. probably from Marion. Yeah. 
but there's a picture of this man who's just looking right at the camera and he's pointing up at these, at these two young men who, who have been lynched. Um, I'm almost pointing witness mm-hmm. <laughs> and like Saul. Yeah. Yeah. Giving approval yeah. to this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this wouldn't be a, a normal Sunday sermon, but I'm, I'm thinking when I'm, when I'm speaking about the pain, this kind of pain, when we're speaking of, of inequality, this is just a passage that, that often comes to mind when I hear about yeah. those kinds of atrocities. So then what does it mean to begin to see the lynched in Stephen mm-hmm. or to see Stephen in those who are being lynched, right? To begin yeah. to... to see Christ's solidarity mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. But yeah. not just suffering with, but also standing at the right hand of it. The only time in the entire New Testament he is said to stand at the right. It's always sit. Huh. Always huh. sit. I wonder if that's a, you know, you think about um, <clears throat> somebody watching something horrible happen and there's that moment of sometimes you stand like ready to interact, like just waiting yes. to go in there. And, and I, I wonder... I, I hadn't pictured Jesus in that way before. You know, I'd always kind of pictured the serene standing, but you can almost see Jesus, you know, standing in this righteous anger, ready to just. Stephen can be serene because Jesus is standing yeah. on his behalf. Yeah. And, and of course, the language of standing up mm-hmm. is, has, is a language of resistance. <laughs> right. So right. if you're going to bring up. So here would be some homiletical advice. Don't bring up lynching if you just want to make the story feel awful. Mm-hmm. If it's not woven into the good news as well, mm-hmm. right? I've heard you say this before where <laughs> preachers will quote statistics about how horrible the world is. And then like the the solution half of the sermons, like kind of, you know. The last 30 seconds. It's just not. Or, We're all children of God. <laughs> or even if it's long, it's not. It doesn't have punch doesn't have power yeah yeah Yeah. not the same intensity and so to talk about you've got to match the intensity there there you go that's the insight that i was looking for that's why the standing is key if you're going to make the lynch connection then the standing i think means what it means to suffer with stephen is also means it means to stand up for stephen yeah right and stand up against injustice right right as opposed to just kind of looking with approval and then you get three characters you get stephen Mm -hmm. and his act of faith and forgiveness. You've got Saul neutral huh. in approval. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got Jesus standing yeah. at the right hand of God. Yeah. And and that can be an opening in a sermon even. Like who do you identify with right. and what's the invitation? Right. But all of us are invited to keep our eyes on yeah. Christ because yeah. this is the same Jesus who's going to appear to Saul a couple chapters later. Yeah. <laughs> and and I love that distinguishing between Saul and 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 the and the mob here because I might not identify myself with the mob. Oh, I don't see myself doing that. But, but I can identify with with a with a mm-hmm. Paul, uh, with a Saul who's who's just standing there. You know, he's standing himself. <laughs> but it's a different kind of different kind of. Is he standing? Yeah, I'm the, checking at the feet of a young man named Saul. So it's implied that he's standing. Oh, I mean, that's that's a I hate to say it, but that is a character that I, I think I identify with more than I care to care to admit. The, well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not involved. <laughs> yeah. And yet, um, you know, silence as a, or even 
I approve because I want there to be law and order. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want somebody to be uh, the line from few good men, right? You want me on that wall. You know, <laughs> you, you know, the Jack Nicholson kind of says like, yeah, maybe I'm not going to fight for my country, but I want other people to. Mm-hmm. Um, but if my country is involved in injustice, then I'm actually tacitly approving. Yeah. Because it keeps me safe. Um, I think Go it's, ahead. You were going to say something. Yeah, else, I think it's I important to so you, you look at what Stephen is saying. You know, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Don't hold this sin against them. And it is Stephen is saying these words. No one else is telling him that he should be Ooh, saying these words. That's really these weird. these are words that need to come from uh f- from the martyr. Yep. You know, this is going to be completely different if there's apostles on the side coaching him, telling him what what should be said right now. Hmm. Wow. That's, that's really good. That's really good. And that, that's an important then, uh, this is sort of an instruction to our listeners who are preparing teachings or sermons on this. I, I mean, a lot of our listeners aren't, uh, and we don't ever want you to feel alienated by that. We've found that if we approach it that way, then we end up. <laughs> that helps us. Yeah. It ends up giving us something to offer, but you know, people aren't preparing sermons. Hopefully they just get to have some edification in our kind of half-baked uh, mm-hmm. sermon ideas. But, but especially for those of you who are preparing to teach others um, in any way, it would be, I think, a, a misapplication of the text to instruct people to talk like Stephen does right. here right. when they face suffering. Right. For starters, specifically suffering for the gospel is not the same as just suffering in general. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. actually, the New Testament treats those differently, right? I mean, suffering that's just in general tends to be, per- the focus is compassion and prayer for healing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Suffering for the gospel is identified as a place of blessing and of privilege and, you know, like, and perseverance. Yes. Mm-hmm. And non-resistance. Yeah. Right. Whereas resisting, yeah. Yeah. resisting suffering is appropriate that's when that's it's good. right. So I think that's a distinction yeah. we don't always make that yeah. I think is relevant here. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the background justification for my advice is to say, do not, you know, say you should suffer like Stephen. Yeah. He's not our example. (laughs) Good. Yes. Jesus is the example for all of them. And it looks different in different people's lives. You're right. Exactly. Stephen's words here are are a supernatural gift. Yeah. So he, he may be an illustration of what the power can do. Right. Uh But not necessarily a model of what you have to do. Right. Right. It's not necessarily morally binding on your conscience. You have to feel guilty if you, your suffering for the gospel doesn't look exactly the same. Because what's at the heart of this is, at least in my view, the vision is at the heart of it. It's who he, because the model is Jesus, not Stephen. That's who he's looking to. Mm -hmm. But he's not noticed. He's not just remembering Jesus's death and taking words and words and solace from that. Valid, but he's not only doing that. He's also beholding the risen Christ who's standing on his behalf, you know, and so he, that gives him the hope to face hmm. what he's about to face because he, he knows who is with him and who is on his side and who he knows yeah. it. I know my Redeemer liveth. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'm going to, doesn't mean my life's going to be great. Right. It means the living Redeemer is on my side. Um, and yeah, I don't know if that, if that, clicks or not, but to, to avoid kind of, I wouldn't want to command people to say what he said and feel the way he felt. At the same time, I would want us all to be invited to 
confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead mm-hmm. and that he's sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us, right? Romans right, 8, right. Romans 10, that I'm quoting there, words that Luke, the author of this text, would have heard preached on Paul's lips, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the whole theology of Paul, yeah. really, yeah. in narrative form here. Uh, and to, 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 to confess that with our mouth, to believe it in our heart, even if we've never seen it. Cause of course, Stephen and Paul, I believe Stephen and Saul are the only characters in the book of Acts who have a vision of the risen Jesus after the apostles, right. you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. You know, have a post, Peter doesn't have the, yep. a post ascension. Peter didn't need one, right? He's, yeah. But he, he yeah. walked to talk with Jesus. Stephen didn't. Yeah. Stephen was probably a, <laughs> a Hellenistic Christian from another place. Cause all seven of the deacons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in chapter six, um, have, uh, Greekish sounding names right. and, and are coming from Antioch and Niger. And I mean, they're from Africa, they're from all over. So I, I feel like Stephen is in this very special category, mm-hmm. um, uh, alongside Saul as a kind of apostle untimely born. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Or you could I almost like say like Stephen that. is an apostle who, you know, untimely born, his, born, his birth and his death, uh, you know, if, if the technical definition of apostle is one who's a witness to the resurrection and uh-huh. kind of narrow uh-huh. sense, Stephen's birth and death as apostle coincide in one moment. Hmm. Huh, and, okay, I like that. And they coincide with the emergence of Saul in the narrative. This is the first reference to Saul. Right. So you almost get the sense that Saul is taking Stephen's place hmm. no i hadn't thought i'd never thought of it either until now huh. as apostle to the gentiles because huh. oh, he was among the deacons who were supposed to watch over the Hellenistic yeah, yeah. widows in chapter six um and that connection to antioch where paul ends up going whoa man i just sorry that's bringing in new stuff at the end that might not be helping <laughs> the sermon idea but yeah at some point i'd, I'd probably try to throw in there or I'd at least play with the concept of martyr going back and looking at the Greek root there, the mart, the witness, the testify. Yeah. Um, you know, so often we hear the word martyr and our mind just goes to one who dies for Christ. But uh, but to broaden that one who witnesses, one who testifies. Yeah, it's the opening. It's kind of the thesis statement of Acts 1 or of Acts, right? And the whole outline. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is... Um, after earlier saying that you should wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on mm-hmm, high mm-hmm. and you will be my yeah. martyrun, yes. right? My witnesses, yes. yeah. my martyrs, yeah. my testifiers yeah. uh, in Jerusalem, chapter one through yep. seven, yep. in Judea and Samaria, chapter mm-hmm. eight through uh, 12 and to the ends of the earth, right? chapters uh, 13 to 28. You know, right? it's, it's interesting how much we uh, kind of brush off that word in terms of don't be a martyr or I'm no martyr. It mm-hmm. has, it, we tend to use it in such a, a negative kind of way, uh, which is unfortunate. It's, 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 I'm curious that we've, that it's evolved into that kind of understanding. That's the sermon I preach is just one that just redeems the concept of martyr. Cause people have heard it, it, even vaguely kind of churchly people, you know, uh, if, if they might know, they, they've heard the word, everyone's heard the word martyr. It has an everyday meaning. And they might know Stephen's the first martyr. That might yeah. be a thing yeah. people have heard. Uh-huh. And so to dig into that more deeply and to talk, and, and actually a bunch of what we've said 
can be introduced. Uh, the Paul connection, yep. the larger axe connection, the fact that he's just bearing witness to what he saw mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there. Uh, yeah. And, and actually back to that point I was making earlier about even Luke's whole broadening the concept of martyr beyond just the shedding of blood right? actually helps then inform the, the, yes. that, the narrow yeah. meaning. Yeah. Because the point is the bearing witness to what the content is, what makes a witness, what it is. Yeah. We're bearing witness to the fact that this dead Jew is the Lord of the universe. Right. And therefore Caesar is not Lord. Yeah. Right? Confessing yeah. with your mouth that Jesus yeah. is Lord is a politically uh, dangerous claim. Right. And it does stir up conflict. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it to, to, to be a witness is to um, put, put oneself in harm's way. There's yeah. no way around it. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think the line I would use there is that, uh, Stephen was a martyr long before he died. Oh man, that's good. Opening line. That's all I need for a sermon. As you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then I, just... I say it and then I pause and then I say it again slower. And now you're making fun of me. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> know thyself, right? <laughs> hey man, I preached, I preached, uh, twice a week for th- three years at that little church and when I was starting out Mm -hmm. and, uh, and man, I was bad. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Well, you didn't hear me that often. You were were at at other different churches then. Didn't have kids yet. Uh, but I, I found that rhythm. Yeah. And it gave me something. Well, you, I mean, full-time PhD student preaching twice a week. You, you got, you got to have systems and, and patterns, formulas. And I was, a, I'm an expository preacher. I can just go verse by verse and yeah. have a lot to say. Yeah. Having something to say wasn't my trouble. That's why I've started this podcast mm-hmm. because like, I, I got content for you. Here you go. <laughs> you, you go make it your own, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, make it, make it your own, but have at it. Use it. Don't, don't cite it, you know? Um, but the, the hardest part was starting for me as a preacher. Yeah. And so when I kind of found it was about, I think it was, it was about, it was just shy of a year. It was like, I think I used to say it was 40 weeks in when I finally, huh. when I finally realized how to preach. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I, and I, I think it loosely corresponds to this, to kind of have a hook, a, a single line that both grabs you, uh-huh. but also grabs the audience, but is also the thesis, the main idea. I, I was just going to say, you're you're a thesis person, and it combines both that thetic thinking with uh, with the uh, with a kind of uh, with with a rhetorical flair. Yeah, and that is just a great line, man. Yeah, uh, oh, what was it again? It was Stephen, Stephen was, was a martyr born. long before he died. Whew. That that's it. We're done. All right. I'm, Side note, just for fun, I mean, I just said we're done, but I mean, in a way, that is the, that is how good sermon prep works. You, you have the core of the sermon mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and now it's time to put the books away and start. Yeah. Take a walk, uh, yep. practice. Yeah. Play with the text. Yeah. Come back to it. But you know, if, if you have your focus, that would be called a focus statement. Yeah. And I, I have to hear myself say it out loud first, yeah. uh, normally in my car or else in the bathroom where I can look in a mirror. I don't know why that helps me. Other people, I could see how that would freak them out. But I have to hear myself say it out loud. <laughs> I, just see it. I just like to look at myself. Uh, so vain. 
<laughs> no, there's something that feel that catches the performative aspect for me yeah. that keeps that helps me to take it seriously. Um, All my best sermons I, I've written walking. Yeah. Once I have a yeah. single idea, uh-huh. like right now, if I if I really was preaching tomorrow, I would go close all these books. Yeah. These are just going to get in the way now and go take a walk mm-hmm. and say that one liner and try to see what I remember from the, what we just did. If I was on my own from study, it'd take a little longer in study than, than in a conversation, but see what I'm remembering, see if a kind of outline emerges, but if no, no clear three point outline emerges, who cares? Like, um, if I have a hook, I've got a, I've got a center and I'll see what else emerges. Uh, and I just kind of walk and talk and people have of course seen me walking and (laughs) talking with my hands waving all (laughs) over the place as I'm working out the sermon, you know? And, um, but everyone's their self. We tell these stories to make the point that there's no one way, uh, to do it. Uh, though, uh, I think there is wisdom, whether it's a single line or not. I know for you until you have like the, the focus, what Aaron Perry likes to call the, the winkle, right? The, the angle. Okay. Yeah. Well, he called it angle. What's your angle? And I, I renamed it winkle because it's, it's the German, it's the German word for angle. And it was just <laughs> funny to say, you know, what's, what's is, what is your winkle? <laughs> you don't remember that? It was like when no, we started the podcast, no, we used no. to say it every week instead of sermon stars to say, what's your winkle? <laughs> nope. We remember that one. And maybe we should have let that one be forgotten. <laughs> Anyway, enough commentary on the process. Thank you so much, Mandy, for giving an hour of your time. Thanks to all our listeners. As always, we appreciate you so much. Uh, thanks to Todd and Eric for your production work. I cannot imagine doing this without you. And thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. So long. <laughs>